And so there was a game called Star Wars Galaxies that I really liked, and I would go in and play. And one of the one of the tr one of the things you could do in there was exchange money. Like you you would go do missions and you'd earn credits in the game, and you could go mining. You would go build harvesters that would harvest oil or water out of the ground in this virtual That's environment, cool. of course. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, one of the one of the things that I started at that time is I would actually like earn money in the game, and then. I would buy trade credits in the game and sell them on eBay for actual cash. So, so you could actually. <laughs> so you're earn, trading earn, digital. He invented yeah, so. Bitcoin. This is what we didn't <laughs> oh know God. about it. He invented a digital currency. It was a digital currency in a video game. <laughs> and uh, monetized. Star Wars it Galaxy at the time. Yeah. yeah. So it was it was fabulous. You could actually go, you know, earn, I'm having fun and making money, earn money <laughs> so in the game, yeah. and then sell it in real life. So it was great. Thank you for joining the Entrepreneur Adventure Podcast. And let me say, we are super excited to have you with us today as our guest, Brandon Checkets, shares his entrepreneurial journey with us. Even as a kid, Brandon had caught the entrepreneurial bug and has since become wildly successful in the world of software engineering by finding various niches in which needs of the market were not being met. I really think you're going to enjoy Brandon's story today, and I think you're going to learn a lot about finding your own niche. And with that, I'll turn it over to our hosts, Josh Melton and Chad Brown. Welcome, everybody, to today's edition of the Entrepreneur Adventure. Today's guest I've known for around 10 years now, and he is someone that when you meet, you're immediately overwhelmed with his humbleness, but his presence and thinking that is a methodical way. And you can tell, hey, this guy operates different. He thinks outside of the box. He's been making money online before any of you knew the term e-commerce. Before, before Al Gore even invented the internet. Before any of yeah. us had internet on our phone. Yeah. He has been crushing it online. I don't even know how many businesses he owns. I don't even know what we're going to learn today, but it's going to be awesome. Welcome, Brandon. Check it to the podcast. Welcome, Brandon. Uh, thanks, Chad. It's good to be here. Glad to be here with that, with you both. Man, Josh, where do you want to start? Well, I mean, so much to cover here. Let's start with a story. How about that? All right, let's do so it. So the three of us all met in the same civic organization. That's right. We Early group. days. Oh, man, way Early back Early days. This yeah. was right after I moved to Athens, 2008-ish, probably. Yep. Right? So, yeah. Yeah. yeah you're, so you're, Brandon's new to town. We just ago, started yeah. the Civic Group, and we're kind of there, and you know we're all young entrepreneurs trying to figure out what to do and how to do it. And uh, I remember Brandon having a conversation with me about sponsoring this event that we were going to do with our Civic Organization. And I remember talking him out of doing it. I was like, man, I just don't think it's going to be beneficial. This was for Book Scouter, by the way. So like it was the, I think the first jog that we did. We do, we do this, this civic organization has done 10 years worth of these uh, 5K, 10Ks. And Brandon was like, should I be the title sponsor? It was 1500 bucks. I was like, gosh, man, I just don't think it's worth your money. I don't think it would make sense for your business. And like, had I known then what I know now, Brandon, I'd be like, you should sponsor it for way more than that. Because you've crushed <laughs> it, for the next man. 20 years. <laughs> he was killing it. Man, I just didn't know it yet. Uh, but no, nah, man, so we, we do go way back. We were a decade Plus, and we're, you know, we, it's, it's crazy. This was, if I can give one little tip as we're starting here, to get engaged and involved in your community because you meet people and you find friendships and you like you never know where people are, where they're going to go and what they're going to do. Me and Chad met in that same that same civic organization and started businesses together. Like it's just crazy how get engaged with your community community where that can take you. So Brandon, I think at that time, 
you had one business? I could be wrong, though. You, this was in the... I probably technically had two at the okay. time, but yeah, it depends on how you define business also. So, See, the one thing I'm going to tell you about Brandon from the start, here's what I knew. So even looking now, I'm like, all right, I know Brandon has got multiple ventures. Let me let me study up on everything he's got these days and figure out what they are so we can talk about them with intelligence at the podcast. And the one thing I didn't consider is that I would need to bring intelligence with me. To, I couldn't, under, like, it's just, it's so, it's, it's so specific to these different niches of what you're providing and it's good stuff and you're able you've been able to really do well for yourself uh you you you're close to passing me and chad in our success levels <laughs> yeah right <laughs> well, i have yeah, a lot of fun it. every day I, th- I think that counts for something so hey, yeah. yeah man you well again we we are grateful for you being here we're grateful for your success because you're not somebody who's also just been like all right let me succeed just for me you're geared toward trying to make a difference in the community you're just like that the entrepreneur is not entrepreneur of making a difference. So you're making a difference in people's lives, creating jobs, creating opportunity, creating change in your community. It's fun to watch you, but let's take us back a little bit. Let's hear a little bit of your adventure and we can start wherever you want to start. You moved to Georgia again, roughly 12, 13 years ago now. Uh, yep. I moved when my 12 year old was born. So he turns 12 pretty soon. So it was right before that. So 12 or 13 years I've been here. So I don't know how far back you want to go, but uh, wherever you, you want know, to take I, we don't know the whole story. I started out as the guy in, in elementary school that was selling candy to my peers, and okay, and, and yes. I guess you I, did that too. I, I, <laughs> did you have a little brown bag of candy? That's what I used. Well, I, I think mainly bag. it was snow cones. We had this little wagon, like one of those red wagons. You build a little fort on it out of wood, and we would have a little snow cone maker, and we'd See, make snow cones and drive around the neighborhood. He, he was next level. Yeah, I mean, from the start, we had paper bags. I mean, yeah. I had stuff in my pockets. He started a freaking wagon. He started a manufacturing a company. I mean, it's like, all right, you buy a snow cone, and for an extra $2, you can hang out in the fort. <laughs> he, probably, yeah. he probably started his email list back then, too. It was probably something with the admission. I don't remember. but yeah. <laughs> so you had an entrepreneurial bug even as a kid then. I, somehow, I don't know where I picked it up. Uh, but, yeah, I've been entrepreneurs for as long as I can remember. I've worked at certain at several places like as an employee uh, and, and, had it, and learned a lot and done some fun stuff there. But uh, always kind of had like either a side gig or something that I was working on. So, so how did you get into the online space? I know it was textbooks originally. Is that right? Well, so I started as a, like a computer. I worked as a computer guy basically. I would fix your okay. when I was a teenager, twenty or something, going through college. I was a was this like a side gig fixer. as well? Like you just got no. I, I worked for a company. I okay. grew up in Utah, and so I was a computer store there. I worked for and actually, so I actually did start a computer business with my parents when I was about sixteen years old. Um, so my dad was in computer networking and stuff, and he helped get some contract. We actually ended up wiring the Delta. It was called the Delta Center at the time. It's where the Utah oh, yeah. Jazz played. We ran miles of cable uh, and network cable, like putting all the computers together and stuff in there. So that sort of spawned off a computer business that we that I started when I was about 16. We called that Microbits. And it was just a lo- local computer store, and our, we were mainly just like bought and sold computers and computer parts and did repairs. So that was kind of like my first – uh, real business, I guess, where yeah. did stuff. I was still in high school, of course, at the time. So I would like go to school during the day. And after school, I would come and work. And then I would, my, my mom manned the store during the day and she would t- take orders and have people drop off computers. And I'd come in the afternoon and uh, fix things and put computers together and do all the other things with that. So was this something you loved or was this like a work ethic side of like, all right, I, I mean, I, I've always been a computer geek. So that was, so I, you, you know, I was, computer geek for as long as I can remember, nice. eight, year, eight years old or whatever. So I was proficient at computers pretty well at the time and, and had a lot of fun doing that, learned a lot about it. So Were your parents already entrepreneurs before then, or they have regular jobs? or 
my so my mom's a worked as a uh, librarian in elementary schools for most of my life. My dad worked as a like a network administrator at a government uh, contractor uh, where they made the space shuttle and stuff. Um, so he he was like a network administrator and he had some business ideas, but I don't know that they ever. I guess my mom actually had a craft store. Okay. When I was really young, probably five or six years old, she had a craft store that she started in a small town, and so. Probably picked up some of it from there, uh, but my dad always would talk about businesses and stuff and ideas, and this was the first one I think we actually moved on. But so at sixteen, you start a business with your parents, Microbits. How long does this last, and like where does it go from there? So I did that for a couple of years um, until I went on. I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, and went on a mission for our church when I turned nineteen. So it was from sixteen to nineteen, I guess, is when we kind of did that. Uh, when I when I left, the, the store shut down. We didn't have much. No. Uh, no succession planning or anything really there. <laughs> uh, so everything kind of shut down, and I, I did that for a couple of years and then came back and started working at another computer store there. Um, but, yeah, so that's that was kind of my first experience. And uh, I, I was going to college a little bit at the time as well. I kind of overlapped high school and some early college stuff. And I remember being uh, going into, like, accounting classes in college. And, like, I, I remember, like, I would actually learn something in my, in my class at high school or in college. And then I would have QuickBooks on the computer at the store, and like the, these concepts were very abstract, like a cost of goods sold, which is like kind of a hard thing to explain to somebody who's never owned a business. Like that would actually be meaningful when I saw it, like on a profit and loss statement and stuff. So there was something really powerful about like owning a business while going to school and like learning and having like a, the ability to practice it at the same time. Yeah, so you, so you could apply your education while you were getting it, exactly. Versus what you know. Most of us are like, hey, let me educate, 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 educate. Yeah. One day you're going to use this stuff. And people ask, like kids ask, like, oh, am I ever going to use this? Or like, no. Yeah. Not. I, I got to imagine <laughs> if I went through four or five years of school and then started like to, to learn like about QuickBooks and use like and have some experience in that, like I don't think that would be very useful at all. Yeah, like, I agree. I definitely so. agree. I know for me, I learned more in a week working with a computer and QuickBooks and tax software than I did in three or four years of an accounting program. So mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's crazy. So you come back from your mission and you get a job. How was that for you? Being a guy who started his own company at, well, you know, as a kid, doing stuff on the side to make money, but then having your own company, coming back and working, some, was that I fine my, with my you? My plan there was to graduate from high or graduate from college. So okay. I, I, was, I, I had a year of maybe two years of college before I got uh, came back. Uh, but yeah, finishing college, it was the top, kind of like top priority. And uh, doing that and then making money while on the side. So the obvious thing for me to do was work at a computer store. It was actually one of the one of the guys I used to buy from when I had my own computer store was like a, the buyer at this other company. And I think I went in to drop off a resume. And my friend Heath there was like, oh, you got to hire this guy because I used to sell him parts that I knew were bad. And Brandon would like fix them and like never bring them back. So like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's, so, so I had to, I guess, to go back and going back to your point of networking. Like it was a relationship that developed a few years prior, it got me easy access to a job there. So yeah, um, but yeah, and it, it was uh, it was fun. I I actually still like a lot of about computer stuff, repair stuff hasn't changed a lot in uh, fifteen years or whatever. So like I can still pick up a computer and fix things on it sometimes. That's pretty uh, not, cool. Not doing much of that, that <laughs> anymore. But I I assume at that time like no lifelong visions of hey I'm going to own multiple companies and employ hundreds of people and. Uh, did you like have a motivation to go out and do big things and start stuff at that time? Or was it just, Hey, I'm just figuring out how to make some money. I was just, it was figuring out how to get 
the next immediate thing, I guess, figuring yeah. out figuring out what what the career was. I don't think I knew that I was going to be an entrepreneur forever. It's kind of figuring out career path, graduating from college, of course, f- figuring out what to do. So there was no grand vision of what I was going to do for the rest of my life. So you're more focused on like, hey, this is where I'm at right now, and this is the next step. And once I get there, I'll figure out the next step from there. Versus as Chad's mentioned, and having this like twenty year vision of where you wanted to end up. No, I wasn't like a Elon Musk who knows like I'm gonna <laughs> change all of the science and technology. Like uh, nothing, nothing like that drastic. It was much, much more of like fairly practical, like figuring out what I'm gonna do. I guess. Yeah, I think Elon Musk probably has like neighborhoods already drawn up on Mars. He's got like street names and yeah. everything. He's already figured it out. Absolutely. Yeah. So you're in a, so you're at a job until you finish college, and then where does your entrepreneur venture kick back up to where you start owning your own business? So I went again? from a computer store, and I started working as a like a sort of like a computer administrator, a network administrator for Flying J, which runs a series of truck oh, yeah. stops. You're probably familiar yeah, with those yeah, yeah. Off, the, off the interstate. So yeah, yeah. I, got good I, I got a job, uh, sort of an uh, upgrade from that one to like managing the point of sale systems and the computer systems and the pumps and everything for Flying J's across the country. Um, and then sort of worked up from there from doing like frontline support to being like a system administrator. And really from there, it became like system administration led to programming, which programming led to like open up the, a world of possibilities. Like at that point, like programming was uh, a tool used to like build uh, businesses, basically, or build, build out ideas really yeah. and to figure out things. So I, I had no formal education in programming uh, other than I was good with computers and I kind of understood stuff. And so I had a sort of mentor friend there, Kevin, who kind of helped me understand and get into programming a little bit. And then like programming on systems and we got into like databases and a few things that like sort of some fundamental things about programming. And once once I got a touch of programming, then it was much easier to like forge your own path and to have like some ideas and be able to actually execute them as well. So you're working at Flying J and you're roughly how old at this time? 21, 2021. All right, so early 20s. You hadn't done any coding or programming before, really. Not really, no. And you just, on the job, there's a guy that works there. He's like, hey, let me show you some of these things. So you, and you, obviously, you said you pick up computer stuff fairly well anyway. This is a little different side of it. It just kind of came natural to you, or like the interest level was there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it was, throughout this whole thing, I mean, you're like rising up at everything yeah. you've done at this point. Do you recognize that at some point in that? Hey, I think I'm smarter than a lot of other people I'm working with. I mean, you're you're 21 and climbing faster in these corporations. I don't think I saw. I don't think I was climbing fast in any corporations or anything. I, it was it was pretty like incremental. It wasn't <laughs> it wasn't like drastic. I went from being like a level one troubleshooter to a level two troubleshooter I, I to a level at, three troubleshooter. At 21 so. for me, I'm still like counting bottles of beer on the wall and you know trying to figure <laughs> out how to show up at work. <laughs> no, I think I had a pretty good like work ethic and stuff from my parents. I'm sure. So yeah, so some of that like I didn't. I was never really interested in uh, like the. I was interested in the academic and the practical things going through school. So I like it. So when you learned the coding part, did did something kind of click for you? Is that did you start seeing something further down the road then, or was it just no? I'm just continuing to advance my skills on the job. Yeah, it was all about just self learning and getting better at what I was doing. So. I guess understanding that like the more valuable you are, the more opportunities that opens. Right. Okay. So, so you're just, I'm going to continue to advance your skill set, and you're finding opportunities within the organization to yeah. scale up as a result. Chad, <laughs> it does sound like you're like, I'm like, how old were you? Like 21. I'm like, and you're saying I just rose up. I was like, yeah, man, but you did it like one week at a time. It took, <laughs> took, it took us longer. Right. Chad. This, this is my history with Brandon. It's like, yeah, you know, we haven't seen each other in a long time, but you know, when I would see Brandon, like, yeah, things are going okay. And then I, open up the paper the next day and it's like 
new location in Athens employs more people than almost anybody else in town. And Brandon, check it. So I'm yeah. Like, this goes back to your your the humility you mentioned on Absolutely, the intro. Yeah. He's like he's a very humble guy. So you learn how to code there at, with Flying J. Yeah. And then what what, what happens well, next? Actually, a really fun thing at that time. So I was a, of course a computer geek into video games and stuff. So there was a there, and I'm into Star Wars too. So there was a Star Wars video game that came out at the time called uh, Star Wars Galaxies. You probably have never heard of it. Have you all heard of War- World of Warcraft though? Yes. Yes. So it was like the it was like. Year, a couple years before World of Warcraft, like this massively multiplayer universe where you could log in. You can't, you didn't have like a goal. There wasn't like a mission to go beat a boss like video games. It was more like a, an environment you go in and it was just like a world where you can kind of live and do your thing. And so there was a game called Star Wars Galaxies that I really liked and, uh-huh. and would go in and play. And one of the one of the tr- one of the things you could do in there was exchange money. Like you you would go do missions and you'd earn credits in the game. And you could go mining. You would go build harvesters that would harvest oil or water out of the ground. In this virtual oh, environment, cool. of course. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, one of the one of the things that I started at that time is I would actually like earn money in the game, and then I would buy trade credits in the game and sell them on eBay for actual cash. So so you could actually <laughs> so you were earn trading credits. digital. He invented yeah, so. Bitcoin. This is what we didn't <laughs> oh know God. about it. He invented a digital currency. It was a digital currency in a video game. <laughs> and uh, monetized Star Wars it Galaxy in real at the time. Yeah. yeah. So it was it was fabulous. You could actually go. You know, I'm earn, having fun and making money. Earn money this in the game win. and then sell it in real life. So it was great. All right, let me ask this question. This is I gotta ask this. Did you have that thought yourself, or did you like or on eBay one day and you saw someone selling the credits? Uh, I don't know. I can't remember that. Because I'm I don't thinking remember. it's probably the first. He probably was like, I wonder if I could sell these on eBay for actual cash. That probably was. Out. Yeah. So yeah, because that seems that's that's why you're where you're at now. Yeah. That you have. Oh, I wonder if I could do this, and then you just do it. Yeah. So yeah. All right. That's we found awesome. out Brandon invented Bitcoin. That'll be in the paper tomorrow as well. <laughs> that is really funny. Uh, well, <laughs> well, that's that, that kind of brings together several things. So I was actually learning to pro. So I started selling them just on eBay and stuff. But eBay has high transaction fees and whatever. Trying to avoid those fees, I made my own website. That was one of the first programming things I actually ever you should did. Should have tried to pay the, the eBay fees with the digital currency. <laughs> Wait, man. Well, you could pay with the real currency that, that I just traded it for. So. But but it got so that instead of like earning all the credits myself in the game, I got so I was actually buying credits from other people and then reselling them. So I was, just became a reseller after some time. You can't you couldn't earn enough credits in the game to like to meet all the demand there was. So and you so, built a website to buy digital yeah, credits from Star Wars Galaxy. That's right. To resell them, so you're, you're he's retelling and wholesaling. Yeah, <laughs> digital <laughs> digital <laughs> credit. Now we figured out he don't awesome. even exist. He, he invented was... Coinbase also. Yeah. Hey, this is uh, Brandon. If you're ever questioning or whether you're an entrepreneur, entrepreneur or not, I think we've uh, yeah. we found it was in you, man. Most people play video games to decompress. Do I gotta like, ask man, you. I think I make some money here. How ma- I mean, this what kind awesome. of money were you making doing this? Uh, it was. I mean, it was not insignificant, so I, I can't. I can't <laughs> remember. Like I made my first ten million. This <laughs> no, is how was, I did it. It wasn't in the million dollar range. It was probably in the. Well, while I was doing, I was working at Flying J, and I don't know what I was making. Maybe twelve bucks an hour or something like that, and it was rivaling what I was making like in my full time job. Uh, and I, I probably shouldn't admit this, uh, but like I would actually had like my computer at home. And I had my work computer, but I would sell stuff throughout the day. And I had it set up so that when I got a sale, it would ding my phone or whatever. I know some, knew something would sell. And so I was actually using like a dial-up connection to go from my computer at home, going over a slow dial-up connection to my computer at work, and then like logging into a video game at like one frame every four seconds. It was terrible. <laughs> I'd have to log into the game <laughs> and to, to transfer credits to somebody who bought them. 
And so I was doing work, and then on the side, I'd have, like, another screen that had, like, my video game on it that was operating at incredibly slow speed <laughs> and transferring credits while working. At what, all right. Day, so. What year is this? Year range is what 2002-ish. So, I mean, yeah. 2002-ish, just to put some parameters on this. I got my first cell phone in 2003. <laughs> 2003 because i was like i'm holding out man. i'm not i'm not gonna you know conform so this this wasn't your apple iphone you're talking about oh no this was a this was a phone with like three lines on it like a verizon phone oh, with yeah. three led lines on it or yeah something would... These, this is when you had those cell phones that you could like throw into the interstate watch you get hit by seven cars and still pick it up and it would work it's like indestructible <laughs> now you breathe on your phone wrong and it breaks screen cracks so yeah so you're doing this at a time where we mentioned the internet like the internet is a thing people are on it Facebook isn't a thing yet. Like maybe MySpace was eBay's there. a thing. World of Warcraft was barely getting started. Like video games were a thing. So Yeah, this is definitely though still the, the infancy stages of the internet. And you got especially you gotta, from a monetization standpoint and a, Oh yeah. 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 And you figured out I'm gonna get a build a website and I'm gonna sell digital currency. That is so so funny. And not only that, but that you replaced your full time income doing this or matched your full time income doing this. So I love this is my whatever business story you tell me from here, Brandon, doesn't compare to this one. Right, this is the best one ever. The uh, but so, yeah. So where do you go from there? You're at Flying J. You just you, you got your income coming in from the website, too, where you're, again, making the same there. Yeah. Where does it take us from there, man? Or unless there's more to this story. Cause I, I don't know how, many, how much time we have. I'm going to have to jump a little bit. But like. Basically, it took, we got all the time we can come back and do this again. So I took some profits from that, and I actually started. My wife had a friend who had sold like a had like one of those teddy bear stuffing stores, basically. So we took a bunch of profits from that and bought a teddy bear stuffing machine and opened a store in the mall, like a little little tiny space in the mall, like a hundred square feet or something store in the mall, and hung up little outfits on the side and hired an employee or two and tried to make a teddy bear stuffing store in the mall. I like it. Brick and mortar experience. How did that one go? That went terribly. Well, because you're out of your element, man. (laughs) It was terrible. I knew nothing nothing about negotiating, so I probably paid way too much for rent. I had this tiny spot that I was probably paying like $400 a square foot for. I have no idea what it was. It was terrible. You're in the online digital space, man. You can't get into the real world and start messing there. So anyway, that that went terribly. I'd never had employees before. We tried to hire like a couple of girls that were like manning the store during the day, like trying to sell stuff. I had no idea how to like manage employees. It was terrible. So I think we had like a year contract and like six months we were bailed, like we're out. So so any money that I made selling video games was lost on (laughs) teddy bears. (laughs) Hey, what lessons did you learn there, though? Did you take anything away from that? Being like, all right, this is a space I'm not going. The lesson to... I learned at the time was never do retail. Or, oh, I so, get. Yep. Yeah, retail was hard. There's a. There's a. I, I, would, I wouldn't be so adamant about that now. I think I've learned a few more things. But yeah, but. <laughs> there's so early you, entrepreneur uh, failures. That's we learned so much of that and figure out oh, yeah, what you don't want to do. I, yeah. I know I've had some uh, ones that stung in my past. Well, hey, how, how painful was it at the time? I mean, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we, we can all look back on our earlier part of our entrepreneur adventure and see, like, where there's parts of it where you, like, you're a kid, you, like, scrape your knee and you want to cry about it. Now you, you know, can take on, oh, it's just a flesh wound type of mentality. But was it hard to fail on that? Because you haven't failed at anything. Yeah, I mean, so it far. wasn't pleasant, for sure. I, I remember, like, uh, you know, going in there, like, we're, our, our leases, we're getting out of our lease and stuff, and we got to tear out all the fixtures and get everything. Like, that was just tedious, trying to, like, sell the, some of the equipment. Like return the space to the condition it was supposed to be in. Like I didn't know anything about whatever, so I was. I had you know my parents and brother and sister to help 
like put together all this, these fixtures and stuff. Oh, and that's tough. Yeah. Have, have my, my family help me put up all this stuff, and now I got to go tear it out. It's like all the help that they put into it is like. Oh, yeah. So it's an emotional drain, thing. So, yeah, it's not pleasant for sure. So You should have turned that into Microbits 2.0, man. You already know how to <laughs> dominate in the uh, computer retail. Maybe should have done something different. But, um, and another important lesson, though, that came from that time, too, was like I, I mentioned selling like credits in Star Wars Galaxies. Like, wasn't technically within the rules. Like that was kind of against the license agreement. Like the the the, the property didn't really belong to me. I guess like it, it, uh, it. It's one of those gray areas, right? Like you earn credits in the game. Like Sony was the the owner of the game at the time, and there there was no clear indication that I owned or had permission to sell the credits. And it was against the the rules, I guess. When you one of those big, huge, long agreements you signed up for. Probably in there somehow said you couldn't sell. I don't know if that, they even thought about it at the time, but oh yeah, because why would they think to tell, say you couldn't? Yeah, who's going to sell yeah. these credits? Actually, uh, yeah. anyway, anyway go the ahead. story from that though was like I had inventory. I was buying buying credits from people and reselling them. And so one day I woke up and Sony. I got an email from Sony saying your accounts are canceled. That is so, so you get super impressed th- thousands of dollars of worth of virtual goods in my account and on the snap of a finger like locked out complete like nothing I can do about it. Man, yeah, I know so. financially that sucks, but I'd have been so proud. I'd have been like, <laughs> man, I have got big enough where Sony yes. knows I exist. And it's funny because <laughs> it's awesome. you're a, yeah. you said you're a big Star Wars fan. Yeah. You know, so it's like Sony Darth Vader coming in and being the bad guy. Yes. Trying to take over the oh galaxy. Oh, my God. I can't imagine waking up to that email. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. How was that, man? Like, Was that like this like, thing? Oh, this yeah, business that, is over. That I was guess. another thing. I was like, what do you do? Like, I can't do anything about it. There's no no getting my inventory back. I, I maybe could try to appeal, but there was no basis really to try and i didn't know anything about it it was pretty much give up and done so so that was what put you out of business for that the, yeah the Sony that, that one didn't last very down. much longer because it was just one stroke of their email and it was done so and oh. this is a good side gig though for you like you said like you're re- at least replaced your uh, income with flying J. so you're making at least whatever 30 grand a year on this side business that requires limited overhead right other than you're at some point you're buying the yeah. digital currency as we'll keep calling it but yeah so any, anyway so that was pretty pretty upsetting to have that lost uh i think yeah. I, I transitioned world of warcraft was barely starting and there was like two servers so we were trying to sell on world of warcraft and stuff too but there wasn't really any anything for that yet so pretty, right, pretty much so. abandoned it at that at that point so but but i think i learned some good important lessons about risk Oh yeah, okay. was that, was that the, close the time, timeline so. to the teddy bear store closing down and then the, and then sony i can't remember down? how they overlapped they were all Simultaneous, okay. Kind, so it was somewhere like, close, kind of like in parallel. I, I don't remember what happened first, but and were you still at Flying J this whole time? I think I was still at Flying J. Okay, the whole so time, you still right? had some, you still had income coming in from your from your day job while you're yeah, doing this. something like that. So, so we're kind of one yeah. for three in the entrepreneur journey at this point. <laughs> this this is uh, all right. You got to have the courage to, to yeah. let's go after it again. So what happened from there? So I think I, I my mentor that taught me a lot at Flying J went to another company, a small web hosting company, and I, a few months after he left, I followed him there, and we did like internet hosting and uh, wireless internet access. Uh, for a company called Webpipe at the time, uh, based in Utah, and we did some really cool like we put like essentially a Wi-Fi antenna on the top of a mountain and point some big antennas at it, and we'd have wireless internet out three or four miles from there, driving going to people's homes. This is wow. before before like com- before com- like cable or DSL was highly available. Yeah, because this is still like mid two thousands. You're yeah. talking right? Yeah, people still have dial up mainly, and if if you're not if you're not in an area where you know, AT&T or somebody serves you DSL, you had no options. So this was an option for people that were far, not in a service area to still try and get some sort of high-speed internet at the time. So I worked there and then got more and more into, like, systems and programming stuff. So really just to kind of develop more in programming, uh, got more and more experience at that. So so what is your next 
side gig take place, your next business venture. So you got this job doing this with the wireless internet, yes. doing this for a while. You're probably starting to make a little more income doing that, I'm assuming. I think I probably got a raise. It was, it was probably a better job pay-wise. Yeah. Uh, so doing that. Uh, at one point, my in-laws had decided that they were going to move and their house was going to be available in Wisconsin. So they, they my mother-in-law was in the Navy and she was getting stationed in Maryland, I think, at the time. Their house in Wisconsin was become, become available. And so they, they were going to let us live for free in their house. And so that really, like, as a, you know, uh, I think we had one, my, my oldest son was born then, and maybe two on the way. But as a young parent, like, you have to have some security and stuff, so it's very risky to go start major businesses then. Sure. Um, but with free, with essentially free rent, like, uh, it's kind of opened up the possibilities again. So uh, I remember I quit my full-time job at WebPipe and agreed to just work part-time on it, like 20 hours a week instead of 40, and then did freelance work on the side. Um, so sort of stopped the full-time thing, but left because I had some, uh, some support and didn't have a full weight of like trying to earn and pay for rent and everything was able to like take a little bit of a risky move there and, uh, do freelance work on the side. So I started thinking that I would be doing like coding for other people, mm-hmm. just signing up on gig sites and whatever. This is kind of before gig sites were much of a thing for programming, not some early ones, but, uh, Started off doing that part-time at the, my previous employer, working on my own thing. And then while we were – so we actually ended up moving uh, from Wisconsin to Maryland, uh, staying there for a while. And um, wh- one of the things my, – my wife had a friend who was blogging about getting out of debt, and she was trying to, like, figure out how to sell money to get pay off her student loans. And one of the things she she blogged about was selling her textbooks, and she would, you know, take a – she went, went into – I can't remember what the, the degree was. It was a medical degree that had really expensive textbooks. Oh, and, you yeah. know, you take a $200 textbook, bring it back to the textbook, the textbook store, and they're going to give you $10 for yeah. it or something. And so she found that she could go sell them online, and she went to three or four different websites, and one of them would offer, like, $120, and the other would offer, like, $60. And so she was uh, comparing prices on that and blogging about how she did that to make money. Uh, and I actually took I had an interim thing. I had actually had when I when my when my currency site got sent, my virtual currency site got shut down. I sort of transitioned that into a price comparison site. So instead of like having inventory myself, I would compare prices for all, all the other people that were still in business. Okay. So I had some price comparison technology. So you're still an industry leader. Yeah. You maintained your spot. It's the voice. <laughs> well, I, had, I had traffic. You got to like monet, <laughs> oh, yeah. keep the traffic. You got to monetize it. That's that's <laughs> worth a lot. So I tried to figure out how to monetize that. That, that really didn't make any money. Um, but I was trying to monetize it with an affiliate program or something. Anyway, I built some price comparison technology for that. And I kind of adapted the price comparison technology over to the textbook realm. And so over a weekend or two, I made this price comparison website for textbooks so that people who owned a book and had gone and finished their semester or whatever could sell their textbook back online at the highest price and we'd figure out the highest price for it really easy and were you charging for that service or was it just a free i mean initially initially it was like just can i even do it and and and, uh, i remember it was a very incredibly ugly site i think it had one picture on it and four (laughs) color like it was it was really bad um, but I got it working, uh, and this uh, my my wife's friend blogged about it, and she was part of like this financial blogosphere, and got picked up on a bunch of other blogs, and had traffic pretty quickly. So nice. I remember getting my first commission for a four dollar commission when somebody <laughs> used my website to go to these one of the other one of these websites okay. and sold their book, and I got a commission for it. So you so. set yourself up as an affiliate with the different yeah, textbooks. So, so we didn't charge money for it. You asked me how I. There was no yeah. charge for it, but it was just an affiliate relationship with a with a website at the time. Okay, so you basically could so. get commission off of the their repurchase of the book, and you're getting a cut of that. Yep, exactly. Awesome. 
So that grew to be what what became Book Scouter, which was uh, you know grew from four dollars a day to forty dollars a day to four hundred dollars a day. So it, it grew over the over a couple of years and got to be bigger and bigger and bigger. So just kind of like adapted some of the technology I had into a new industry and something that caught on pretty well and worked. Did you see it like from the start? Like once you started making the the correlation, could you see that it could be? a significant full-time venture or are you thinking like, ah, who knows if this will work out? No, I don't think I saw it as a full-time thing. It's I, 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 in fact, I think I love a lot of things. It's sort of like a part-time gig. Like, yeah, I think, you know, full-time nowadays would mean like it's making at least like a hundred thousand dollars a year or something like that. And I don't think I ever envisioned it being that big. I was like, maybe it make me a couple hundred bucks a month yeah. on the side. But it got bigger so than that. It, it grew past that. Yeah. Yeah. It's still past sure. that. I mean, it, so. I guess, was it ever a full-time venture for you with Bookscouter? Uh, it was. So I, after I launched Bookscouter, actually, I took a job with another company doing textbook things and learned a lot, like was doing textbook stuff on my day job. But I guess I made a smart move when I did that. And when I, when I started with this other company that was kind of a competitor, so the, the, the Bookscouter was on the sales side of the business. So you had to own a book and sell it back. And there wasn't much traffic in that, right? And it wasn't very, uh, there was nobody paying commissions for it. There was only two companies paying commissions for it. Okay. There was a lot of commissions though on the buying side. So if you bought, if you were in the market to buy textbooks, there was a handful of sites that there was a bunch of sites that would sell books, including like Amazon and eBay back then and uh, several price comparison sites. So I got hired by one of the price comparison websites to start building their technology. And uh, as part of the hiring of that, I like, carved out an exception in my employment agreement that says I have an exception to the non-compete thing for the side business I have of book, of book scouter. So you came into it cause you already had book scouter. You come into the company and part of the negotiation or like, Hey, I got book scouter. Yeah. Well, I'm making sure on paper. It's cool. We're all yeah. cool with that. Yeah. Well, I just want, I want to keep running that on the side. No big deal. And they're like, you know, it makes you a hundred, 500 bucks a month, whatever. No big deal. Uh, you know, we, yeah. glad you have it. Like that's how they found me is because I started that and started okay, so you got recruited to this job yeah. because of books because Scouter. of books Scouter, Yeah, Perfect. so I, I think I had two. I had one other one that ended up is the, the game price comparison side. I had as like an exclusion from my non compete that allowed me to run that. I guess so. Um, but yeah, that that one didn't matter. But essentially, just the the market changed. Right, so this is we're getting towards two thousand five. Amazon is getting in dominance. What happened is like anybody that could have anybody that could acquire textbooks had outlets to sell them online oh it got to be so, well, consumer to consumer i guess instead of uh necessarily well, well there's a, tons of there's tons of people that own textbooks and it just became it, the 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 sale of textbooks online become more and more popular yeah so instead of buying from your local bookstore whatever the retail price is you can buy a used book online for half the price a lot of times okay so and this used, is also riding the critical mass of internet usage exactly so like almost everybody's starting to get online like because again when you started doing the stuff you were doing there was still a large percentage of society that this was in the aol days like this is when aol sending you the free 25 hours of it's probably a little bit internet, past right? aol like <laughs> but i'll say as far as when you were mail, when you were starting yeah like because i remember the first time i got on the internet was in college and it was probably around the year 2000 yeah and so like this is when like they're when companies are being like hey come get online just yeah, try I, out. I guess i didn't mention that maybe critical i actually worked for prodigy was my very very oh, first okay. job so okay, prodigy yeah. was sort of like a small guy at the time aol was around so i did tech support for prodigy when i the day I turned 16 was my first day of work. So. Well, it's interesting, especially in the MC stage, getting on the Internet was one thing. Being comfortable enough to do a financial transaction on the Internet yeah. is a whole nother level. And yeah. I assume all that was kind of happening about that same yeah, time. Yeah, so the, the time that the Bookscatter started working, like buying t buying textbooks online got to be more and more common. And yeah. what Bookscatter was really well positioned for, which I didn't know it at the time, it just happened to be serendipitous, I guess, 
is that the companies that were buying textbooks could sell textbooks. The people that were selling textbooks had plenty of demand. They could sell textbooks all day long. Their constraint became buying them. And so they couldn't buy enough textbooks to resell them. So that's where BookScatter was well positioned is like we ranked well in Google and everything for selling textbooks. And all these companies wanted to start a textbook buyback company online because they needed to acquire more books so that they could then sell them used. And so really their constraint became like trying to acquire as many books as they can. And so BookScatter was launched. And then a year or two later, like they're trying to figure out how they can buy as many books as possible. And so there was like a new buyback site launching every other week, uh, trying to like acquire textbooks, as many textbooks as they could acquire. And BookScatter was ahead of that curve, and we were well-ranked in Google, and we had good, like, page speed performance when that started to become important. And so, like, a, a buyback company could launch a website, and by being on BookScatter, we had them listed as a vendor with an affiliate relationship on BookScatter. Like, they would get traffic immediately because we were already ranked really well. It would, it would have taken them a while to rank in sure. Google algorithm and stuff. But since we're a price comparison website, we had traffic already. You start paying us a commission, we turn you on, and you get traffic, like, it made it really easy for those companies that were really the ones, our customers, transacting the business. Um, it made it possible for them to turn on their buyback site and get traffic immediately. So you're in this very specific niche. You've made a name for yourself in the niche. And so now the the money's coming to you. Like, yeah. hey, Brandon, you got Bookscouter. We need books. You gotta, you're got like you helping lead people on where they should sell their books to. This is also in the midst of our, our probably, our average uh, listener to this probably doesn't know, but there's also been over the course of probably decades a college textbook like bubble like mm-hmm. scaling up like cost of those books is going up which I'd assume would leave some space for the buyback commissions as well. I mean I, I can go deep in textbooks if you want but essentially textbook publishers only make money when the, when a new textbook is sold yeah. and this was on the textbook resale market so as resales become more and more popular the, pub, the publishers make less money yeah. they try to find ways to limit resale by doing things like online codes and CDs and all kinds of other things that they've come up with over the years mm-hmm. to try and protect their original business of new book sales. Yeah, so you got to be a competitor there too, right? They're trying to like figure out a way yeah, to... Yeah, lots of obstacles there. Yeah, there's just this, this industry with all these little players, all these different nuances to it that you wouldn't know without being in the middle of it. But yeah, it's a complex industry. And it, at some point, did you decide, okay, I'm serving as a middleman right now in a connection piece. I'm, I got the customer acquisition. I'm spawning the back end. Did you go into the role of actually buying books at any point, or did you stay in that middleman role? That's a very good transition, Chad. Thank you. <laughs> I try. I almost felt like it was pre-planned, and it yeah. totally wasn't. Yeah. No, it basically was. So I, I got. So I'd stopped working at the other job. I was doing book scatter full time. I'd moved to Georgia by this time. Okay. Um, and, and you know you're in this wave too, right? Like you know, like at this point, hey, this is it's a volatile industry, maybe to some degree because of the competition that's well, there, but you can see that there's a market here. Oh, there's obviously a market there. I'd quit my job. We were doing lots of revenue. Revenue was growing every yeah. month. Like it was amazing. I had no idea like how amazing that business was. Yeah. Uh, or how like how amazing that was at the time because the margins were great. Like I was myself in one programmer. There was like no cost associated <laughs> with it. I had $200 worth of servers a month or something. Like there was hardly any cost to it. So uh, amazing margin, like tons of profits. So it was great. So essentially, we're trying to figure out, like, what's the next step? What do I do to reinvest these profits? Sure. And that's where it came back to, the well, we know a whole lot about books, and we've got a bunch of customers that are buying and reselling books. Like, why don't we use our own technology to buy and resell books? Sort of an obvious next step, I guess. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if you remember this. When you're in Athens, like, once you're already here, we're already in the Civic Group together, you hired my cleaning company to come and clean, like, a warehouse in Winterville. Oh, yeah? For you, to, I think this was your brother in town or something helping you out yeah. at the time. 
Like so, yeah. yeah so you're like, hey, we need to clean out this warehouse out here in Winterville. We got to put some books in this warehouse. Oh, nice. So yeah, I was still at Chad this story yesterday. You know, things kind of come back to you sometimes. Yeah, like, I don't. Yeah. I don't think I even realized that. That was probably the beginnings it's, of your cleaning company. Yeah, it was early on for yeah. us. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we were still. It was way back. Yeah. Way back. Yeah. So anyway, we were bu- we were buying books. It happened. It so happens that uh, the USPS. A lot of books are shipped via USPS every year, and the USPS ships. I don't know how many millions or hundreds of millions of packages or whatever, but they lose a small percentage of them. And all, everything that's lost in the U.S. postal system goes to the mail recovery the mail recovery center, which happens to be on the west side of Atlanta, uh, off of Fulton Industrial Boulevard. So, uh, a friend of mine at the time uh, knew that, and he's like, well, "Let's go down to the postal auction and see if they have any books." And so one I don't remember what it was one day of the week we went down there. Uh, they had an auction once a month. Used to have it, and uh, you go into the mail recovery center. And they'd have all boxes and boxes. Like, you'd be amazed at how much stuff gets lost in the mail. These are things that are lost or they, they paid claims on and now owned or whatever. Um, but uh, they package these things, large things, they package them up into what was called a Gaylord. It's like a, a, a box that's the size of a pallet. It's like 36 inches by 36 inches by 36 inches tall or something. Yeah. And they would basically put 2,000 pounds of books inside one of these Gaylords. And they would have, ton- they, at any given time, they'd have 15 or 20 of those for sale. Sometimes after busy season, they'd have 80 or 100 of them for sale. Um, and so, but there was people obviously out of Atlanta know, know about this, and there was people there buying Gaylords of books. And we showed up and we were like, well, you know, pallet of books, probably worth a few hundred bucks. And then they go to the auction. You'd have, you had to inspect it beforehand. And we were looking at all these books, and they had everything else, like any, anything, anything you can imagine really there, they had lots for. Uh, we were looking at the books. And we were figuring the books worth a few hundred dollars, but amazed when when they would sell for thousand, fifteen hundred dollars for some of these Gaylords of books. Oh wow! And so we're like, man, I don't know how people are doing that. So we, I can't remember. We, we did some analysis on it. Came back the next month and said, let's just take the risk. Like somebody's making money at it, fifteen hundred dollars. Let's go buy a pallet and see if we can do it. <laughs> that is entrepreneur uh, approach. There. <laughs> I love it. I want to see how this works. Yeah. And we're gonna buy it and figure it out. Well, you had a very yes. calculated risk, though. You knew what you were investing yeah. in. It. You yeah. Well, well it, it was an auction. There was a dozen people bidding on them, and they're all. That's we're assuming they're buying them and selling on yeah. eBay or Amazon or something. So was, we know as much about books as anybody. But let's figure it out. So the risk. Uh, we, we. I remember getting the first Gaylord of books and. We didn't know what the heck we were getting into. I don't know how we were going to – we had no plans to transport it. <laughs> it weighs a couple thousand pounds. So my friend called his dad who had a small pickup truck, and we were, like, loading this – offloading this pallet of books onto a pickup truck. And somehow I got it back to my garage, and we started make, making some software to, like, figure out how to, what these things are worth and how to sell them. So It's like Christmas morning. Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. What do I got? How do you put this thing together? Actually, that was, that was the funniest. The funnest thing about the auction is it really was Christmas because you, you can imagine like a box that's thirty six inches deep and you can't you like, can't see everything. When you go either, to inspect right? it, all you can look is the top layer. They don't yeah. let you move stuff around. It's just inspect the top layer. So we have no idea what's underneath it. There's some we found some amazing treasures in there. So what did you so, make on that first Gaylord of books? So you I paid, think we, we, we probably paid like twelve to thirteen hundred dollars yeah. for it, and I remember like doubling our money basically. Oh yeah. So, yeah. So, so now, so then you know, okay, I can. We, we're going to go do this again. We're going to yeah. go buy some more books. So was, uh, we started building some special, some specialized software with the book scatter and trying to figure out how to do that, and added on like an, our own internal interface to our book scatter site, and we'd scan a barcode off of a book, and it would tell us to send it to Amazon or sell it to a vendor A or vendor B or whatever. And so we would we we built some specialized software for that. I worked it out of my garage for the first pallet that we had. And then I moved into a storage unit. And then we ended up buying a two storage units that were next to each other, and then a third one. 
And then we, that's the point where we kind of moved to that warehouse. Yeah. I think you're talking about in Danielsville. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So we moved up to that warehouse. It was 4,000 square feet. And then we were starting to buy books from Goodwills and Salvation Armies and all kinds of other places. And, uh, you know, it got more and more complicated as you scale. So. So, yeah, so in order for you to scale, you're like, we can't just buy books from the postal auction. we got to find more books because I'm assuming you're able to sell these books. Yeah, the postal auction got more and more expensive. So we've got more and more competitors there. It's, Amazon's growing. It's easier and easier to sell books. So it got more and more competitive and wasn't able to make as much money. Uh, another fun wrench that was thrown in there is like this was uh, – does your audience know who like F, like Amazon FBA is, Fulfillment by Amazon, the process of that? So. I'm sure many of our people All do. Right. Many so, of our more intelligent listeners, yeah. me and Chad are like, what? So th- this is when like Amazon was just starting to st- start to run their own warehouses and allow third parties to put stuff in their warehouses. They, sure. they, they call it Fulfillment by Amazon. It's a big, huge thing now. But it was pretty, pretty early then. It's, but essentially Amazon has warehouses all over. And they would uh, allow you to ship in your inventory into their warehouse. And when it was sold, they would be responsible for packing it and shipping it to the customer. Um, and that was pretty amazing for us because we'd, we'd buy books. And then we could just list them on Amazon and ship them to Amazon's warehouse. And Amazon would take care of the fulfillment and the packaging and the postage and all and the, the things the customer that went with service it. and everything. Right? Customer I mean, service, it everything. takes all your employees off yeah, your So plate. what yeah. would have required like a warehouse of people and like po- days, like trips to the post office every day, like none of that was a thing. We could just do it at whatever leisurely pace we felt like, ship the boxes off to Amazon, and they'd be responsible for the day-to-day operation of fulfilling everything. That's amazing. So that was a game changer for us um, that made it possible for us to operate out of these, you know, 200 square foot storage units. Thank you for joining us. Please tune in next week as we continue our conversation with Brandon Checkets. If you're a fan of the Entrepreneur Adventure podcast, we would love to hear about it. You can leave us a review right here on your favorite podcast app. You can subscribe to the podcast or you can find us on Instagram at The Entrepreneur Adventure. Until next time, thank you for joining us.